I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome in to the Hoisty Kellers Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Igo. Excited about a fresh edition of the HTC Pod. We've got a lot to discuss. ECU baseball drops two out of three at Tulane in a crucial series. The Pirates really had their chance to kind of stake their claim that they were the clear team to beat in the American. Instead, they dropped two out of three with Sunday's 10-5 to setback against the Green Wave. It is the first conference series loss for ECU since the 2018 season. Pirates, of course, are the two-time reigning champs, 2019-2021-2020 season was canceled due to the COVID pandemic. So we'll talk baseball in a little bit, and I'll tell you why necessarily you shouldn't panic after just one series loss on the road in conference. ECU still, for the most part, controls its own destiny as far as winning the conference title, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, I want to just kick off today's show with some football discussion, some recruiting talk. We've also got some basketball recruiting talk to dive into as Mike Schwartz has added another transfer to his roster for the upcoming year. But we will start with a transfer addition on the football side as the Pirates continue to add reinforcements to the wide receiving corps, this time via the ACC in the form of Jarrett Garner from Duke. And if you look at Jarrett Garner's numbers overall, they won't blow you away, but there's a little more to this story, which we'll get into. But Garner is now the third transfer portal addition to the receiving room this offseason. Jalen Johnson from Georgia was the first. He enrolled and went through spring practice, although he was hurt for much of the last month, so he missed several parts of the spring. And really, I still think ECU kind of really doesn't know what it has there. So in addition to Johnson, the Pirates also added Isaiah Winstead from Toledo, who is the most proven of these three receiver transfers. And then now they add Garner. So you add three guys who have played uh, football at a pretty high level. Of course, Winstead at Norfolk State and Toledo has produced more than Garner and Johnson, although Garner and Johnson have faced better competition at Duke and Georgia, respectively. But you're adding three guys with clear talent, clear upside, good speed, playmaking ability, and we've we talked about it all offseason. The really the one big question with this offense was how was the wide receiving position going to shake out? And I think what you're seeing is not only the Pirates trying to address that, but trying to you know, hedge their bets as much as possible. If you take one transfer receiver and he doesn't work out, you know, then you're kind of out of luck but if you take three and two work out or even just one of them really work out then you feel much better about the situation as opposed to having none of those guys and and, and two you know I don't think ECU necessarily doesn't believe in the receivers coming back like Taji Hudson, Kerry King, Josh Murphy, 
Josiah Hatfield, Macy O'Donnell. It's not that ECU doesn't believe in those guys, but you don't want to just count on those four or five guys because a lot of the other receivers on the roster have transferred out at this point that were not up to snuff after spring practice. Uh, Tyree Saunders, TJ Lockley, Troy Lewis, we saw those guys exit the program. And effectively, these guys coming in are taking their spots. But you just want to have maybe that combination of, hey, we're bringing in this competition. We saw this group returner of returners improve in spring practice. Can they get to the next level? You know, maybe ECU believes they can, but they're not going to put all their eggs in one basket. So you're kind of hedging your bet here. You're bringing in some transfers. You've got a returning core coming back. You still have the C.J. Johnson situation, which I honestly don't know at this point how that is going to break out. Uh, Of course, he would be the most proven returning receiver in this offense. If he comes back, he has been suspended indefinitely since February. As of late April, still suspended indefinitely, did not participate in spring practice. Uh, We will sit down with Mike Houston later this week for a one-on-one interview for the podcast, and I'll ask him about CJ's status. But as of right now, it's an unknown. And so you add Garner, who by all accounts, and I talked with him on Sunday, is a really good, you know, just a good human being. Uh, he said he'll graduate in two weeks from Duke. He'll get another undergraduate degree at ECU because he has got three years of eligibility remaining. And then he'll pursue his his master's as well. Um, but, you know, with Garner, you're adding a, a, another bigger receiver. Isaiah Winstead was listed at 6'3", 215. Garner also in that 6'3", 210 mold. So a classic outside receiver. And talking to people at Duke, He's got very good speed for a big guy, and he's a pretty good route runner. The The issue with Garner is he's been inconsistent as far as productivity catching the football. He had four drops in 2020 when he kind of got the most playing time of his career. Um, you know, Drop rate was among the worst on the team. He, he stirred that up in 2021, but didn't quite get as many reps uh, at outside receiver, although he did have more than 20 targets. So he finished his Duke career 23 catches for close to 400 receiving yards and two touchdowns average 17 yards per catch so clearly has some explosive playmaking ability and the big thing that made this an obvious fit for east carolina was he reunites with receiver coach raekwon boyette at ecu who of course coached him previously at duke so you have that relationship of course boyette would not have told the ecu coaching staff hey this guy can come in and help us with talent and size if he didn't believe in him so you got a coach who believes in the player They've got a pre-existing relationship. You know you, you know what you're getting for the most part. Of course, the rest of the staff has to meet him and get to know him, get to know his skill set. But, you know, Boyette can vouch for him. Seems like a hard worker. He's overcome an, an ACL injury during the 2019 season that he kind of had to battle back through and then rehab through COVID, which he was telling me about, which was tough. And I'll have a story on that on hoistacolors.net uh, up on Monday afternoon. But the guy just seems like he's hungry. He's ready for a fresh start. Again, three years of eligibility remaining. And with Johnson from Georgia having two years of eligibility remaining, you're not just recruiting for the, the this, this one year. You know, Winstead is a one-year rental player for the most part. He's only got one year left. But he's a, you know, a potential game changer, I believe, if everything comes together. But I think you're adding for the, the short and long term with a guy like Garner, if he decides to play all three years, definitely has the – the capability to to help you short and long term. So uh, I think this is a solid addition. I'm not going to say he's going to go out and be an all-conference receiver, but I think this receiver room is starting to form enough of a depth chart to be where you're, you're in a, a spot where you're comfortable if you're the coaching staff in terms of you feel pretty good that if guys stay healthy and they progress, you've got a chance. And I think 
you don't have to be great at the receiver position this year, but you do have to be good for this team to, to potentially reach its ceiling or to be to be as good as people want it to be. You can't just have a running game and tight ends. Uh, obviously, the offensive line is going to be critical. ECU has addressed that in a big way. They've now addressed the receiver position in a big way. And you've got the two running backs coming back. you got the tight ends. Obviously, we all know Holton Aylers is the quarterback. So suddenly, this offense looks pretty pretty stout. And, you know, time will tell how these guys all mesh together. That will be one of the biggest keys of the summer is how does Holton Aylers get on par with Isaiah Winstead, Jalen Johnson, Jarrett Garner going forward, uh, heading into preseason camp. Because you don't want that offensive lull we've seen the last few years to start the season especially with NC State coming to town. So lots to follow on the football front in the uh, in the days ahead. We'll actually talk more football towards the end of the show in our latest Port of Call segment. I forgot to mention, by the way, uh, Berg Pirate will join us in our second segment to wrap up the show as Berg is one of our best-known posters on the site, simply from the standpoint of he never stops asking questions. The guy pays for his subscription and he loves asking me questions, uh, follow-up questions. He drops like at least 10 questions in the VIP chat every week. So that's kind of his reputation, but really good pirate. We'll introduce him at the end of the show as well. All right, let's talk some hoops as the Pirates get a transfer on that side of things as well. Jaden Walker from Iowa State is the fifth commitment of the Mike Schwartz era as he joins the fold and he is the second transfer joining uh, Quentin from Tennessee. I'm not even going to pronounce his last name because I'll butcher it. I'm still getting clarification on that. So, Jaden Walker coming out of high school, he was a four-star recruit according to ESPN, a high three-star per 24-7 sports and a high three-star per uh, rivals. And, you know, did not play a ton at Iowa State this past year. Now, as a true freshman the previous year, when Iowa State was not very good, he was a a part-time starter, I think started 10 games, and, you know, that was under a different coaching staff. Then coaching change happened, but he put up decent numbers. You know, he, he's not an offensive stalwart by any means on the stat sheet. Does not shoot a bunch of threes, more of a defensive uh, point guard. And it'll be interesting to see if his assists get up more here uh, because he really didn't do a lot of, of assisting to a turnover ratio. I think it was actually negative his first two years at Iowa State. So the biggest thing about Walker is – you know, watching his high school tape, I do think there is more offense there. He's actually got a pretty good-looking shot for whatever reason, was just hesitant at Iowa State. I don't know if that was coaching or what. But at the least, he offers you very good length, the ability to guard one, two, or three at 6'5", 200 pounds. Uh, he can handle the basketball. He adds to the point guard depth. Of course, you're losing Tristan Newton, who is also a 6'5 point guard. So I think Jaden Walker is, again, another transfer who's not really a proven commodity, but certainly has more upside than he showed at Iowa State. He made some really big defensive plays for the Cyclones as more of a backup point guard this past year. He was stuck behind the freshman Big 12 Player of the Year, who's also entered the portal. So maybe it was just a case where new coach staff came in, they got their guy in, and and Walker kind of got lost in the shuffle. But I think there's some upside here. Um you know, again, he can handle the ball. As of right now, you got Javon Small coming back. We you know he can handle the ball as well as a second-year player. And then Saxby Sunderland is a point guard commit from the high school rank. So you have three potential point guards on your roster. I still would like to see ECU add another 
whether it be a proven shooting guard or, or somebody in the portal that is kind of proven they can produce at the Division One level. You do have Winston Tapp still in the roster, but when I was out of practice last week, he was shooting post-practice from a chair. Now, he was up walking around. It's not like he can't walk. He's just working on a shot, doesn't want to re-aggravate anything as he rehabs his knee. Winston Tabbs is a potential all-AAC guy if he gets healthy, but he's missed basically the past year and a half with injuries. So I don't know how you can count on that at this point. And outside of Tabbs, nobody on this roster coming in or returning has proven that they're like a legitimate scorer at the Division One level. Now, you've added a handful of high school guys, three to be exact, and then they're they're looking to add more. Ezra Sewer visited this past week. He's a, a four-star prospect per own three, a power forward, bit physical guy, 6'8", 230. And I think he could be an in, instant impact guy. But right now, a ton of unknown with this basketball team. And I would say, you know, time will tell how it plays out. The good thing is there's intrigue, but with the addition of Jaden Walker, uh, you do add some more experience, a guy who should come in ready to play. But overall, I think there's still work to be done by Mike Schwartz as he looks to shore up his roster, although they are. I think they have got two scholarships left as of right now as we sit here on Monday morning. Um, and again, more things can happen. Maybe guy, more guys leave the program. But as of right now, uh, you've got 11 scholarships tied up for next year out of the 13 available scholarships. All right, transitioning now to baseball, East Carolina lost two out of three at Tulane over the weekend, and the Pirates, as a result, fell into a three-way tie now for first place in the American Athletic Conference. And, you know, look, this was bound to happen. This ECU team, far from invincible. We've talked about the pitching woes all year, the inconsistency on the mound. It's hard to win a series when you don't get – three innings from any of your starters. And ECU, of course, was without Jake Kuchmaner. The wind was blowing out considerably all weekend in New Orleans. We saw several home runs that looked like pretty medium-deep fly balls that just kept carrying, at least off the television broadcast, the center field. So it was a tough weekend to pitch, and that kind of compounded ECU's issues, although it did help them offensively. But I'm not going to go through and break down the series. You guys know what happened. Um... EC was without Jake Kuchmaner, which, again, did not help the situation. Ryder Giles had an off weekend, which he was due. He's just been so great. The guy can't go five to seven innings of scoreless ball every time out. But, you know, you're sitting in a situation now where I know people are disappointed. ECU had the chance to to win the series and kind of make a statement. But all is not lost. The Pirates are still, you know, losing a series to another NCAA bubble team on the road is not the worst thing in the world. Clearly, ideally, you would want to win the series, but Tulane now sitting at 48 in the RPI, ECU sitting at 52. The Pirates have a potential big RPI chance this week at NC State in the midweek. The Wolfpack are in the top 40 in the RPI, and that is a road game, which, as we discussed before, counts more. But the Pirates still pretty much control their own destiny, and they actually have a pretty favorable schedule down the stretch, which is both good and bad. Good from the standpoint of they have still a pathway to a conference championship if they can take care of business at home. The problem is you don't have too many marquee series left to improve your resume. So you're going to have to kind of count on what you've done and probably have to win the American Athletic Conference regular season title to have a chance at an at-large. You know, inside of 50, you feel better about getting that large. Outside of 50, it's happened, but it's going to be tough. 
Uh, we talked about the American being down this year. I still think winning the American and having East Carolina behind, beside your name holds a lot of weight with the committee. Just like big schools in basketball get helped out by their reputation when it comes to making the tournament, I think ECU has that reputation in baseball. So if they're on the bubble, there's a good chance they get in. I mean, there's been a year, not you know, not that ECU can bank on that, but there's been a year where ECU was on the bubble and ended up being a two seed. So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't rule anything out. But I would say, I would say they definitely have to find a way to win the regular season. So here's what's ahead of ECU, and also ahead of Tulane and UCF. And by the way, don't look past Cincinnati and Houston, who are just a game back of the Pirates, Knights, and Green Wave. But I still think this is essentially going to be a three-team race. And personally, I think it's going to be a two-team race. I think Tulane and ECU are the best teams in the conference, and I think that'll play out over time. But here is what waits ahead. Of these programs, the Pirates, of course, coming off the series loss to Tulane, after playing NC State in the midweek, they go, they welcome, excuse me, Cincinnati in for a three-game series. This will, of course, be the second time the Pirates have played Cincinnati this year. They took two out of three on the road in Ohio. Now they welcome them back. Then they go to Memphis, which is one of the worst teams in the league. That is your only road weekend series for East Carolina. The Pirates are then home the rest of the way, midweek and weekend. And the weekend series are South Florida at home and then Houston at home. USF right now also one of the lowest uh, lowest teams in the conference. You look at the, the upcoming stretch for ECU, and I think it's pretty favorable. You, you feel good playing at home. Your only road series at Memphis where ECU has historically played well, and the Tigers are not great this year, although they do have some decent arms. Meanwhile, Tulane and UCF play each other this coming weekend in Orlando. You would assume maybe they beat up on each other. You would hope nobody sweeps and somebody just wins the series on on one side. Uh, Tulane then has Cincinnati at home, goes to Wichita, and then Memphis at home, which is, you know, a fairly easy stretch, I would say. You know, at Wichita, never easy, but the Shockers are very down this year. And Cincinnati and Memphis at home are very winnable series, especially Memphis, who Tulane gets to play twice. Uh, UCF, after hosting Tulsa, then they have back-to-back road series at Crosstown rival South Florida, which they swept the first time, at Houston, which will be a tricky series, and then Cincinnati at home. And, of course, so that means, you know, you look at Cincinnati and Houston as well, will have a big chance here to make their own statement. But I, I just feel like Cincinnati, with a lack of pitching, they're going to have a tough time winning this league, and Houston, I don't know, is, is quite good enough, although they have some pretty good arms and pretty good talent, especially in their lineup as well. So uh, big opportunity. I mean, if you go out and you take two out of three, or at, at the least, I think you're still going to be tied for first. More than likely, if you sweep Cincinnati and you get on a bit of a roll here, I think you can easily retake first place. So still a ton to play for for ECU. If you finish with a top 50 RPI in a regular season AAC championship, and as long as you don't go 0-2 in the conference tournament, I feel pretty good about ECU getting in. I mean, I'll, I'll have to evaluate the bubble as we get closer, but I don't think losing the series at Tulane ends the season as far as getting at large. And So I think there's still a lot to play for, and you know, even Warren Nolan right now predicting ECU with a 32-24 and record would have ECU with an RPI of 42, a top 50 non-conference strength of schedule, um, or excuse me, a top 50 non-conference RPI, a strength of schedule overall of 27, and a non-conference strength of schedule of 11. So 
and I think ECU can finish better than that. And I think if you finish the year with those numbers and a regular season title, you're feeling pretty good about yourself as far as being a potential at large. So still a lot to play for. Um, I do think there's a very small margin for error now. ECU can't go out and lose any more series. If they do that, I think at large hopes are probably done more than likely. Although we'll have to see how the conference race plays out. All right, that'll do it for our first segment. And we talked football, basketball, and baseball. Let's transition. We'll do the port of call next with Berg Pirate. We'll take a quick break. You're listening to the Hoisty Colors podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back into the Hoist the Colors podcast. We are now in one of our favorite newer segments on the Hoist the Colors podcast. It's called the Port of Call, where we introduce some of our posters on the Hoist the Colors message board. We're really going through a lot of the guys who have been with us a long time, and our next guest has been with us us a very long time. Andy's one of our favorite guests because he asks uh, more questions than anybody Potentially on 24-7 sports as a whole, but definitely on Hoist the Colors. He is Berg Pirate. Uh, Berg, welcome into the uh, the Hoist the Colors podcast. What's up, Steven? Not much, man. Not much. This is uh, this should be a, a treat. I know that – I don't know if you'll be able to ask as many questions uh, as I ask you on, on tonight's episode. I, I'm going to be trying to ask you the questions, and we'll see how it goes. Um, we'll start first with your name. I mean, do you, how much do you want to share about your persona, uh, your, your name – and you know, and, and everything uh, there, or do you just want to stay with Berg Pirate? Uh, sure, yeah. So my first name's Ethan, and I'll kind of leave it at that. Okay. And w- the meaning behind your username, I, I imagine maybe it has something to do with uh, Blacksburg, or w- what is up with that? Yeah, uh, when I made the profile, like I was living in Blacksburg, Virginia, so it just kind of, uh, kind of stuck. So, if it, I got to ask, do you have like ties to that area or is it more like you were just living there for work or do, do you have any ties to Virginia, Virginia Tech? I know you post some about VT, so I was just wondering like your background there. Yeah, so like I'm, I'm in the Navy, so I've like moved around a lot and I spent about four years of my life in Blacksburg, Virginia. So like I'm, I'm pretty close uh, to the uh, Virginia Tech program, but um, I, I grew up a pirate. Okay. How did you find hoist the colors do you remember like when you stumbled upon it or how you found it yeah i was i was scrolling through facebook one day and i was just trying to find like a good site that had ecu content like i i had been on boneyard banner in the past this was this was probably about 10 years ago probably like circa 2012 so like i i had kind of grown up on boneyard banner and that was either hit or miss and then you had like rivals and scout at the time 
but none of, none of those sites are really worth like buying a subscription over. And then just kind of stumbled onto like uh two, four, seven. And I was like, man, you know, this, this uh, Steven Iger guy is awesome. And he's putting out a lot of really great content. So like I had to jump on board. Well, I appreciate the kind words. And yeah, 2012, that would have been our first year with 24 seven. Cause we were, we were independent 2010. So yeah, you got with us right at the beginning and uh, obviously have been rolling with us and, and probably getting more people to sign up with all your questions uh, over the years. So I appreciate your help with that. Uh, all right. Favorite poster on hoist the colors to read. We've had, we've had several in the past who have been brought up on this segment. Do you have any favorites uh, in particular? I do. I have two um, that are kind of self-explanatory um, backer and uh, Brett Hickman. They kind of have that um, BIS um, era to them, if you will, like called butts and seats. Like when when those guys post something, they definitely get like a lot of uh, a lot of clicks. And then I've I've got another guy. He's kind of off the radar. Um, he doesn't really post as much, but factoid. When factoid comes on, like he really gives a lot of good information. I, th- I think he I don't know the guy personally, but he seems like a really um, big wig donor who's got a lot of connections. And sometimes like he'll private message me and it's. It's kind of like one of those um, Yoda to Luke Skywalker moments. It's like, oh man, I'm dealing with a boss. So, it's, it's yeah, I, I'd say those three. It's funny you mention that because I have a lot of people that, especially that used to post on Boneyard, because I think Factoid was more active when he was on Boneyard, and he, I, I tell you, he reads Hoist yeah. the Colors a lot because I, I message with him a lot, and he he'll do the same thing. He'll yeah. PM me or or email me. Uh, like you said, really knowledgeable guy. Uh, gives a significant amount of money to East Carolina. So he's technically in the know, but yeah, you're right. He only drops like a, a real good nugget on the message board every every so often. But uh, when it does, it's definitely worth worth paying attention. Um, yeah. Go ahead. You have some some to add? I was just going to say, like when you're getting private messages from Factoid, you know you've made it. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Yeah, probably everybody we've had on the podcast at this point has had a a PM from factoid. Cause uh, we've had some of the biggest posters on the site. Uh, least favorite poster. Do, do you have anyone you want to call out here? I don't want to call out anybody by name, but I, I'll just say like two groups of people, like the folks that are just positive all the time. And then the folks that are like negative all the time. Like I try to be pretty even keeled. I'm probably going to have some folks that like disagree with me on that, but I, I firmly believe that you can support the program and still find areas that we need to improve. I, I think that's like the only way we're going to be able to get to where we need to be as a program is to just continuously like look to improve. And the good thing is I think we've got a football coach that kind of shares that mentality. Um, coach Houston has been tweaking the roster, tweaking the staff every year, like even in good years. So I, I, th- I think we're in good hands. I mean, that's the thing. If you don't self-evaluate or look at yourself in that manner, you really can't grow to the extent that, you know, I think the athletic department needs to grow to. And and I, I'll admit, you know, I am I try to give the benefit of the doubt to ECU as much as possible, you know, but I, I try to call – you know, I would say I, I'm definitely – I don't know. I, I think I give them a pass at some points, probably, you know, just be, because I go there, I grew up an ECU fan, and now I'm covering the team. I've had to try and take that out as much as possible to be non-biased. But, you know, I still give them the benefit of the doubt. But, you know, when, when the team is giving up 
300 yards rushing a game in football or they're giving up wide open dunks in basketball like we still have to analyze that and figure out what's happening wrong or what's gone wrong with the roster what's gone wrong with recruiting like the 2021 recruiting class is not looking good so I'm not just going to ignore that because Mike Houston's winning we're going to talk about that so yeah you have to you have to always ask those questions as you do Bird Pirate uh um all right favorite ECU sports topics to discuss do you have any favorite sports or just things that you really like about uh you know discussing on hoist of colors anything like that yeah i really like football and football recruiting like first and foremost like i i i know some folks um want to throw baseball into the equation but i think like to really get to where, where we need to be we need to have like a dominant football program a complimentary like basketball program like at least like having like a winning season you know then like anything baseball can do on top of that is just gravy but fo- football like first and foremost so you said you uh, you moved around due to being in the Navy. How did you become an ECU fan? Was that before all that? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in uh, LaGrange, North Carolina, just like a hop, skip, and a jump from like Pitt County. Um, my mom went to ECU. My dad went to like P- uh, PCC for a couple of years. And uh, my dad worked at a local newspaper in Kenston growing up. And so – because of that, he was able to get free tickets to ECU football games. So I was, I was going to ECU football games before I could walk. Um, same with basketball and a couple of baseball games sprinkled in. But yeah, I'd say from the time I was about five years old until like um, I left for college, we had uh, season tickets, ECU football games. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, favorite ECU athlete of all time? Do you have like, Do you have a uh, multiple or do you have one? I have one, um, Dwayne Harris. He just, in my opinion, he was like the perfect. And actually, I take it back. I've got a second one now. That I think of, but yeah, first, uh, foremost, Dwayne Harris. He just embodied what it means to be a pirate. Just like true grit, do whatever he would do, whatever needed to be done to like win football games. Whether it was like run the ball, catching the ball, throwing passes, uh, laying out devastating blocks, like both in the run game. Um, making just plays all over the field in the return game, just great. And then secondly, uh, Dominique Lindsay, really for the same reason. He was just a battle axe of a running back. And I don't know, I, I, I wish we'd have a had another guy like him on the roster right now. I think Rajay Harris was like close, but Dominique Lindsay was just, just had like a different gear. Yeah, I, I like that you brought up Dominic Lindsay because I feel like he does get somewhat forgotten about when we talk about ECU running backs. And he dealt with some injuries, but I thought he was always solid and always seemed to find a way to move the pile forward, get positive yardage on some very good teams, and scored a lot of touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, Dwayne Harris, I think I've said it before, but he's probably my favorite for the reasons you mentioned, like just a football player. I mean, just did everything possible as a football player special teams blocking all that was just awesome and the dreads like the dreads just added to it you know he was just a boss on the field all right uh we got extra time uh berg so let's let's do some some random ecu sports discussion but you know you said you're a recruiting guy um do you like following like the the portal more or do you like following more like high school recruiting now i think with the portal being as big as it is and you've kind of touched on it in some other podcasts, some other articles. It's really opened the door for East Carolina to like land some of these like higher 
ranked recruits. Um, just thinking back to last recruiting class, the guy who has really made waves in spring ball, but uh, Jacob Sacra, I'm not sure if East Carolina lands him without the transfer portal being as big as it is and like teams just being kind of self-conscious over the number of roster spots they have. And I think we're going to continue to see like quality high school kids um, come to East Carolina, not necessarily fall to ECU, but just like consider ECU a lot more because they'll show up to other schools to camp or to visit. And they're like, Oh, you know, I'm sorry, we're full. Like maybe if somebody drops or somebody transfers, we'll give you a call. But, you know, I think the I think the game the days of like kids just kind of like waiting around until they finally get a committable offer from a from a Virginia Tech or a Clemson or a, a South Carolina are kind of drawing to a close and they're gonna want to like stick to that sure thing and like jump on with the pirates. Yeah, it's it's definitely been unique to see how that's trickled down and affected it because even now, like even ECU's being super picky because they know that all these schools are going to fill up and there's going to be that trickle-down effect. So, like, guys that they have at the top of their board, you know, are probably going to be there come late summer. So they're not reaching for anybody right now, even though they could probably have some guys maybe that they had taken before. Um, so it's it's been interesting. And I know that they still only have, I think, about eight seniors right now. And so you've got very limited room right now for the 2023 class. So... It's just uh, it's it's a unique time, and I, I feel like right now ECU feels like it can win immediately, so it wants to use the portal to kind of upgrade immediate talent uh, and then also hit on some guys to maybe make up for some of the losses in the 2021 class with that being the COVID year. Um, so, Berg, when you look at – and look, before I, I ask you another question, I, I should say, do you have any questions for me? I'll open the floor for you. If not, I'll, uh, I'll keep asking you the questions. You can get back to me on, on the VIP chat later this week. I guess the one question I have for you, and I, I know you're kind of lim- you're going to be limited in your response to this because it it, it kind of tiptoes on the border of like VIP, but just like going to the message boards, we we've heard about this like pending. IPF announcement. Like I, I actually called ECU athletics because like I'm interested in donating towards it. Um, they, they told me there'd be an April announcement. It seems like some of the um, big wigs we have on 24 seven seem to think this is more going to be a, like a second or third week of May thing. Like, have you heard anything concrete? Cause that that's probably like my biggest thing. It's like, I, I feel like ECU as a whole, like we're, we're doing good work getting an IPF, um, started in the next couple of years. I, I just really wish um, they'd be open to taking money from anyone willing to give it right now. Yeah, because, I mean, we've uh, – and you know better than anybody, we've, like, known about this, I think, since late last year, that it's, it was basically going to happen, and now it's just like, all right, when are we going to get the announcement? Like, what are, you know, what are, what are we waiting on? And, and then I had some football sources tell me, like, that actually are within the football program, not in the athletic department – they told me, hey, late March, there's going to be an announcement or we're going to put it out there. And so they had like a get together for the donors then, but they didn't announce anything publicly. And even and then I checked with some administrators and they're like, yeah, it's happening. We'll let you know when it's official. We got to get some stuff finalized and all that. And so I don't know. I don't know what the holdup is, man. I mean, honestly, I, I've, I've heard like numbers thrown around in terms of they're looking at probably spending – uh, around 20 million on it and may, it may end up being a little over that. I don't know if they're trying to finalize that 
trying to finalize how exactly it's done because I've heard one of the top donors, you know, has has potentially looked at, uh, you know, renting the the actual space on campus and then building it himself, which would save money. But I don't know how doable that is. So it's uh, I think there's some moving parts that are kind of keeping it from maybe being finalized completely. But it's happening, and it's just like at this point. Why not go go forward with an announcement so we can start the? Because they're still going to have to raise that extra ten million or whatever. Because I've heard they've have they have around ten of the twenty million already raised. They can't start building it till they have all of it raised. So the sooner they get this out there and start taking money, I think the sooner it's going to be completed. So I don't know. I, I know that people like yourself are willing or wanting to give right as soon as you have the the uh, capability. Yeah, that was probably the most frustrating phone call I think I've had in the last couple of months. Um, just calling ECU athletics and the folks at the pirate club admitting like, yeah, it's a thing. It's going to happen. We j- we're just not going to take your money until it's publicly announced and expect an April announcement. And then lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, somebody on 24 seven is saying there's a, a big wig donor event the night of May the 12th. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. We're we're recording this on April twenty fourth. We're you know I, I heard late March that didn't happen. Now we're here at the end of April, closing in on the end of April, I should say, and and no official announcement yet in terms of for the public to to get behind it. But hey, at least it is happening, and um, hopefully it happens sooner rather than later, or else Mike Houston might be gone by the time it's it's uh, it's built. But that's a that's a discussion for another day. Um, uh, Berg, uh, last question I'll, I'll throw your way. You know, when you look at this football season, you know, what is ECU? Is it fair to consider ECU like a, all right, we expect to go to a bowl game as long as Mike Houston is here now, every, every basically every season now that he's kind of built the roster how it is? Like, what's a fair expectation from a fan's perspective? And what is maybe the floor and the ceiling from your perspective on this coming season? Like, what do you see as a, you know, maybe a realistic ex- expectation? What could happen if everything goes poorly? What could happen if everything goes right? There's a lot to ask there, but I, just how, how would you kind of address that? Um, so I'd say a realistic expectation would probably be anywhere from uh, seven to nine wins. I think we've just got so much unknown at the wide receiver spot. We've got a, a few guys that are coming back with experience with Hatfield and Potentially C.J. Johnson, if he gets everything figured out, worked out with the suspension. There's just so much unknown. Um, I know we brought in Jalen Johnson from Georgia. Seems like a great athlete, but primarily played special teams. Hadn't done a tremendous amount of wide receiver, even even at Georgia. They've got unreal talent. Um, I think Isaiah Winstead is intriguing, you know, like big body, like did a lot the FCS level and at Toledo, but can he be that number one guy? And then uh, with the recent pickup of Jared Garner, um, I think we've got a good inside scoop on what we're getting with Raekwon Boyette being on the staff now, but still, still just a lot to be, a lot to be sorted out and figured out. I think with our run game, if we can utilize those guys correctly, they can kind of cover up a lot in the, in the passing game. And then we've got some all world tight ends. Ryan Jones, Shane Calhoun, really it just comes down to if we just start hot, we've got a chance to, like, stay hot. 
think the schedule shapes up really nicely with getting uh, Houston and UCF at home. Um, so, yeah, r- realistically, I'd say anywhere from seven, nine wins. Um, the ceiling, we, I, I really do think we could, like, go on a roll and win 10 games the regular season, potentially 11 with a bowl game or conference championship. And then I think um, our floor – our floor is probably five to six wins. I just think like if, if the receivers don't gel and teams are able to like stack the box and uh, limit our tight ends in the passing game, limit the running game with the stacked box, like we, we could struggle, especially if for whatever reason um, Holton goes into that shell like he did in the early part of the season just forgets how to run the ball. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think – yeah, I think the ceiling is probably anywhere from – Nine to ten wins, realistically, seven to nine, and then like a four, five to six. I think that's a, a fair assessment, and like you said, some unknowns. Got to stay healthy to to I think hit the optimal uh, standpoint. That's always the biggest key for for any team. But I think everything that you mentioned is fair. So we'll see. And and I'm I'm talking to Mike Houston uh, for an episode of the podcast this coming week. And I'm going to ask them basically, is there anything different they're doing to kind of avoid maybe the slower starts, especially offensively they've had the first couple of years of his tenure. So we'll get into that. But I think you're right. The NC State game, if you win that, you know, all bets are off for the momentum you'll have with kind of the early home schedule and what could happen after that. But, uh, but Berg, this has been fun, man. I appreciate you you coming on and it's been it's good to put a, a face with a, uh, with a name. At least I can see your face. Everybody else can only hear your voice. So... Uh, but it's good to uh, to get the chance to talk to you a little bit and and uh, find out what you're all about. I appreciate your support, man. It means a lot. Thanks for having me on. Anytime you're up in uh, Hampton Roads area, if we're playing ODU, like hit me up. We'll grab a drink. Sounds good, man. Yeah, th- there should be plenty of those uh, matchups coming up in the years ahead. So we'll uh, we'll have some uh, some opportunities to get together. That is Berg Pirates on our Port of Call segment, and that is our episode of the Hoisted Colors podcast. We will be back with you guys next time.